This evening, we're continuing our uh, series in Judges. And uh, before we have our reading, I just want to let you know um, that it, it really is quite tragic what happens, uh, very tragic what happens at the end. Um, so I thought it'd just be worth bearing in mind what is the big picture in Judges when we come to uh, readings with such tragedy in them. Remember, everything is spiraling down. We're seeing just how bad things get without King Jesus. We're seeing how easy it is to be Canaanized, becoming like the world around us. And we're also seeing God's surprising salvation. So as with last week, we're going to split our reading in two. Catherine and Mark are going to uh, come up and read the first part. We'll sing again of our deliverer, and then we'll finish the reading before Nigel preaches. Thank you, Catherine and Mark. The first part of the reading, we are starting in the book of Judges, chapter 10, which you can find at page 253 of the Church Bibles. So it's page 253, 253, uh, Judges, chapter 10, going through to partway of chapter 11. So let's start at chapter 10 and verse 1. After the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar named Tola, son of Pur, the son of Dodo, rose to save Israel. He lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. He led Israel for 23 years and then he died and was buried in Shamir. He was followed by Jer of Gilead, who led Israel for 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys. They controlled 30 towns in Gilead to which this day are called Havoth Jair. When Jair died, he was buried in Camon. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. 
the leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Some time later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with a question. What do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers. When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king, saying, This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Give us permission to go through your country. But the king of Edom would not listen. They sent also to the king of Moab, and he refused. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. Next, they traveled through the wilderness, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, passed along the eastern side of the country of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon. They did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was its border. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites who ruled in Heshbon, and said to him, let us pass through your country to our own place. Sihon, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. He mustered all his troops and encamped at Jehaz and fought with Israel. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and his whole army into Israel's hands, and they defeated them. Israel took over all the land of the Amorites who lived in that country, capturing all of it from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the desert to the Jordan. Now since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Amorites out before his people Israel, what right have you to take it over? Will you not take what your God Chemosh gives you? 
Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight with them? For 300 years, Israel occupied Heshbon, Aroah, the surrounding settlements, and all the towns along the Arnon. Why didn't you retake them during that time? I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. The reading continues in Judges chapter 11, starting at verse 29, and we're going through to the end of chapter 12, which you can find at page 255 of the Church Bibles. It's page 255, Judges chapter 11, continuing from verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20, sa- uh, 20 towns from Aroa to the vicinity of Mineth, as far as Abel Kerubim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him? But his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines. She was only a child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, You have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends. Because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills hills and wept. Because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. The Ephraimite forces were called out, and they crossed over to Zaphon. They said to Jephthah, why did you go to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites. And although I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites. And the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now why have you come up today to fight me? Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. 
The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, You Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan, leading to Ephraim, and whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he replied, No, they said, All right, say Shibboleth. If he said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah led Israel for six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in a town in Gilead. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem led Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave his daughters away in marriage to those outside his clan. And for his sons, he brought in 30 young women as wives from outside his clan. Ibzan led Israel for seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried in Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite led Israel for ten years. Then Elon died and was buried in Ijalon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon son of Hillel from Pirathon led Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. He led Israel for eight years. Then Abdon, son of Hillel, died and was buried at Pirathon in Ephraim, in the hill country of the Amalekites. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Catherine. It's good, this Judges, isn't it? Well, we're continuing our series uh, on the book of Judges. And let me just pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this record in the Bible that we can read. We can learn about you. We can learn about people's reaction to you. We can learn all sorts of things, Lord. And we just pray this evening as we look into this passage and judges that you'll help us understand and uh, draw this knowledge that we've learned and be able to put it into our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, do keep your Bibles open. It's page 254. It's a lot um, of material. You'll be very glad to know we're not going to be going it blow by blow because we'll be here until Tuesday. Um, we're just going to do three small points and um, cover the main issues. Uh, in 1975, age 21, I watched a film directed by Stanley Kubrick, and it was called Barry Lyndon, His Rise and Fall. I expect a lot of people here never saw it, but it won four Oscars. It was based on an 1844 novel. It etched itself into my mind. Why? Because it tells the story of Barry going from a penniless soldier in Ireland, rising up and rubbing shoulders with the kings and queens of European courts. And he was exposed as a sham and a fraud. He became an outcast and ended his days penniless. It was absolutely beautifully filmed, a three-hour epic, but a tragic, tragic story. And it was based on deceit and falsehood. Everything was based on sand rather than rock. And yet, I can still picture it today. 
It was, a, it was tragic watching it. Well, this section we're looking at in Judges doesn't get much more tragic than this. Come with me to chapter 10, and we're going to start at verses 6 to 18. The Israelites had enjoyed a period of peace for 45 years. But verse 6 states, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Not only did they do evil, it was worse this time. Much worse. Have a look at the number of gods they were now worshipping and following. Just think about this for a minute. We're still in verse 6. They served the god of Baal, the gods of Ashereth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. So what happens? It's pretty obvious, really, isn't it? God becomes angry with them, verse 7. A perfectly justified response, I think we can agree. God gives the Israelites into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who oppressed them for, wait for it, 18 years. 18 years. That's a long time. A lot of you here probably aren't even just 18, or maybe you are. That's all your lifetime. Think of that. All this took place east of the River Jordan. So what happens? The Israelites cry out to the Lord, verse 10. We've sinned against you, forsaking our God, and serving Baals. Where have we heard this before in Judges? What was God's response? Verse 11. When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Mennonites oppressed you, and you cried for help, did I not save you from their hands? However, this time, God says, you have forsaken me. He says, I've had enough. Verse 14. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Go on, let them save you. See whether they can do it. Not bad. Pretty reasonable, I would have thought. They've made all these gods. They're worshipping to them. They're ignoring God. So he says, go on. Go and use those gods. So the Israelites repented again, verse 15. And they got rid of their foreign gods, verse 16. So far, so good. But 17 and 18, a battle is looming again. The Ammonites formed an army at Gilead. And what are the Israelites going to do? Well, point number one, God sends them a saviour. There's a map there, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Starts chapter 11 with a bang and a statement. There's an awful lot in this first verse. Where is it? Jepheth, the Gidonite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Wow. You know the Bible's true, don't you? When you've got things like this written down. That's quite a dramatic bit of information. And there's a lot unsaid. 
things we'd like to know more about. For instance, how did Jephthah become a mighty warrior? Where did he learn how to fight? His mother was a prostitute. How did all that happen? There's masses of things we don't know. We can infer from this that Jephthah's life had been a tough one, though. Verse 2, chapter 11, confirms this. Jephthah's father, Gilead, had a wife. So we know that Jephthah's father got a wife and now had a, a life together. And she'd given him sons. And when they grew up, they drove Jephthah away. Verse 3. He leaves and he hangs out with a gang of scoundrels in the land of Tob. The map shows that. That's just on the right. So if you remember, we've left the Ammonites gathering an army at Gilead. On the right, you can see the land of Tob. All the red bits are battles that Jephthah fights, leading the Israelites. The elders of Gilead go and find Jephthah, and try and persuade him to take command against the Ammonites. They're looking for a saviour. Not surprisingly, Jephthah is a little bit sceptical. You can't blame him, can you? Uh, didn't you, verse 7, didn't you drive me from my father's home? He asked them. I think I'd ask the same question. He'd been treated badly all his growing years. And then he'd been thrown out of his family home. He had to survive on his own. The way they treated Jephthah is exactly the way they treated God. <coughs> Throwing him out and turning their backs on him. But now, in the time of trouble, they wanted a savior. Hmm. Where have we heard that before? God has saved all of us through his son, Jesus. He was also an outcast amongst the Jews. So after a bit of persuasion and convincing, Jephthah goes with the elders to act as their commander. Now, going along through chapter 11, there's quite a lot of messages going backwards and forwards, and I'm not going to go into that, but messages are sent, no one really wants to listen Jephthah's justifying what's happened, explaining why Israel belongs to them and uh, why God let them do it, but no one's listening. Then chapter 11, verse 21. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and his whole army into Israel's hands. So Jephthah, appointed by God, leads the victory over Sihon and his army. And he advanced against the Ammonites. Then we come to perhaps the most memorable section in Judges. Chapter 11, verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. That's the second point. Jephthah makes a vow. He says, verse 3, 31. Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. How bad is that? I wonder what was in Jephthah's mind. What was he thinking? Why make a vow in the first place? 
Reading about this story and seeing the end result leaves us totally stunned, doesn't it? Jephthah was obviously worried about tackling the Ammonite army. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made such a vow. So to try and stack the odds in his favor, he bargains with God. You fix it for me to win. I'll give you the burnt offering of your choice. This is to God who made the universe. This is to God who is all-knowing and all-eternal. Make a deal. It's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? Jephthah states, whatever comes out of the door of my home to meet me. So let's have a little think of it. Does, does he keep animals, goats, sheep, cattle in his house? Probably in the grounds and around and about, but probably not in his house. Does he keep slaves? Does he have a wife? He has a wife because he's got a daughter. He's only got one child, one daughter. So his vow was not a wise thing for him to make. Why does he make a vow? Why does he do that? Well, one reason might be that he'd been surrounded by wrong thinking most of his life. All those gods that were listed earlier on in chapter 10, a lot of those rituals required sacrifice. Not just any sacrifice, very often it was human sacrifice. Jephthah would have grown up seeing this, and so he would have thought it normal. In order to appease these false gods, human sacrifices were given, all sorts of sacrifices. And you know, we can sometimes fall into this vow bargain trap when we're praying ourselves. Let me give an example. And I've, I have to confess that I've done this myself some earlier times when I'm working. Lord, I really need a pay rise. Things are getting tough at home. If you give me a pay increase, I will give you 20% in my tithing. I'll tell you what. I'll give you 50% if you let me win a premium bond. If you, um, Lord, if you um, let me get this exam, which I really need this exam, so I can get into qualification, get to university, Lord, I'll turn up to church four times, a, for every, every Sunday, in fact. I'll come every Sunday. Now, why do we do that? Why do we try and bargain with the creator God? But we do. Sometimes we pray like that, and it's wrong thinking. It's a warning for us. Let's not assimilate wrong information. Don't absorb wrong thinking. Don't allow yourself to sit and watch violence, murders, vampires, horrors, sexual content, swearing, hate, worldly stuff. So available now through Amazon Prime, Netflix, adult cable. It's in our living rooms all the time. Do you know it does our souls no good at all? You think you're strong enough, don't you? You can isolate and control such stuff entering your head through your eyes and through your ears. You think, I can do that. I know this is just a bit of entertainment. I don't worry about vampires and things. I know they're not real. But it's the sheer quantity. We get overwhelmed. Yes, all right, we read our Bibles. 
We attend the small and local group church on Sunday, and we go to church on Sunday. But if you spend four hours a week reading your Bible and 40 hours a week watching all this stuff that comes into our rooms, it's going to affect your soul. You're going to respond incorrectly. And I read a little article in the Times um, over the week, video games. Now, I've, I used to play things like Space Invaders and things a long time ago, and I haven't done video games for a long time, but I gather the video games have done a quantum leap, and now it's like a second world. You go in, and if you're on tour of duty, you are actually like fighting on the front, and every, you machine gun people, and they get blood and guts pouring out. It is really, really realistic. It's quite hard to switch off. What's that doing to your soul? Is this what God wants us to do? I ask you that because, you know, we all have this thing. Where do we spend our time? Where do we have our focus? And Jephthah had absorbed all this, and probably that's why he made a vow. Come with me to Matthew chapter 5, page 969. 969, chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. It's up there, but it's good to actually turn to the page if you can. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. This is verse 33 to 37. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Okay, that was Jesus talking. It can't be clearer than that, can it? Lesson learned. Don't make vows. It will end in tears. I put a little bit in brackets here. I was thinking about this over the past few weeks. Vows are when we either try and make a deal with God or um, it also says vows and oaths. But you hear marriage vows. Well, what's that? Are we allowed to do that? Yes, of course we are. We're making a promise to each other before God that we are going to love, cherish, even obey each other. Yeah? And we make a promise. But that's not making a deal with God. That's just standing before God and he's witnessing it. It's very, very different. Okay. Where are we? It's tragic, isn't it? Absolutely tragic. Coming to our last point. What have we seen in Judges that's consistent? What have we seen? The character of God is the only hero in Judges. Chapter 12, verse 7. Going back, you're now on page, let's help you here, page 256. Jephthah led Israel for six years. Then he died and was buried in Gilead. Reading this verse, I can't help 
seeing that God had a plan for Jephthah. He prepared him, turned him into a mighty warrior. He used him. He had tough early years, became a savior. He made a vow, and then he died. Quite short, really, but God used him mightily. Let me pick out some verses that show why God is the true hero in this tale. Come with me to chapter 11, verse 21. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and his whole army into Israel's hands. The Lord, the God of Israel. Chapter 11, verse 23. Now, since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Ammonites out before his people Israel. The Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 23. Verse 29. The spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. It was the spirit of the Lord that made things happen. Verse 20, 32. To fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. Chapter 12, verse 3. And the Lord gave me victory over them. The Lord God is at the center of everything. We have a re recurring theme, don't we, in Judges? We've got the next picture. We have peace and harmony for a time. This time it was 45 years. But each time you look at Judges, it's a different period. Then they turn away, start chasing other gods, get sidetracked. They have rebellion. God turns away because they've turned away from him. People start attacking. They become an oppressed people. Then they realize that they've made a mistake. They repent. God sends them a deliverer. And then we return to peace and harmony. And we see this time and time again in Judges. Do you know there are seven saviors that I can count in the book of Judges? Othniel, Ethod, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and we're going to be coming up to Samson. All colorful, all pointing to Jesus as the true Savior. It's tragic, isn't it, that we have Jephthah has one child and she gets sacrificed. But you know, God sent his one son to be sacrificed on our behalf to save us, to pay the price for sins. So in many ways, this was pointing towards Jesus, just as all the other saviors point towards Jesus. So this, let me just sum up. I've just got one last bit to say. We have a mess when the world turns its back on King Jesus and looks to other gods. Don't make vows. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Spend your time focusing on things that God would want you to focus on, on the Bible, on Jesus. Don't listen to the world. And remember, the character of God is the hero and judges. He's the consistent thing. He's the consistent person. He's what makes everything happen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the book of Judges. 
We thank you, Lord, that we can put our trust 100% in you and know that you'll never let us down. Please walk alongside us. Help us to rely totally on you in all that we do and on your son, Jesus. We give thanks that we can have this record of judges that we know is the truth. And we pray, Lord, that as we walk around Banstead and our homes this week, you will walk alongside us too, guide us and be with us, and allow us to focus on your world, not the cultural world that we are living in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Nigel.